0: You're about to meet some of the most exciting and creative minds in Irish tech, and they all have one thing in common. They're all still in school.
1: Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio.
0: Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're very welcome to episode 970. This week, as the rest of the world is playing in the Wild West we call AI, the EU is planning to bring some law and order to town. A little later, we'll be chatting with an Irish lawyer who is all over the EU's planned AI Act, which we could see published by the summer. Also, we get the ins and outs this week of TikTok's first outright ban. The Irish Data Commissioner is about to land a record-breaking fine on Meta, the size of which will make your eyes water. And we have news on some little tech trinkets going cheap.
1: This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson.
0: Joining us, as always, is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Nile, starting off today with TikTok. They have finally, actually been banned. Where?
2: In the state of Montana, in the US. They have been mm-hmm. the first to jump uh, on this. Montana, of course, famous for it being a massive tech hub and uh, a place <laughs> of, you know, social media innovation.
1: <laughs> but, hey, oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> somebody, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. So from the 1st of January, 2024, you're not allowed on TikTok in Montana. Uh, I mean,
0: you know the paperwork on this. What's Mm. the fine? Uh, The fine is uh, $10,000 per day if anyone in the state of Montana is able to access TikTok, if anyone is offered access to TikTok or is offered to download the TikTok app. Do you know what? If you were to replace
2: the word TikTok with cocaine in that sentence it would be, you know,
0: a, a, a lot more punitive. <laughs> okay, if you were to replace the word TikTok with Facebook. Same deal, if you ask me, because, you know, everything that's going on with TikTok at the moment, we've been saying about Facebook for forever. The amount of data that they hold on us and the fact that it mm-hmm. gets leaked. And uh,
2: Well, here's the thing with TikTok, though. I mean, even if they can't prove that they're sending stuff to the Chinese government as, you know, policy. Mm. Um, the very fact that it's a, a Chinese company means that there are people who might be agents of the Chinese government working there, um, which is actually something that happened to Apple in the last week. There, there's a, a former engineer who escaped, escaped, he quit, he quit <laughs> Apple after uh, <laughs> after purloining an awful lot of data to do with its uh, driverless car Initiative and has and skipped to China. So, does TikTok have Chinese agents working within it? Um, it's too big a gamble to take, certainly in Montana. So, they're saying, right, if you're doing this, it's going to cost you ten thousand dollars a day to uh, to muck around with it, which means that I, I'm just having pictures of guys in trench coats on,
0: on street corners going, Hey, do you want to do you want to TikTok? <laughs> it's cool. The one thing we do know about TikTok, whoever is getting the information, is that the TikTok app sucks a lot of information out of your phone. Mm. Yeah, an awful lot. It's one of the it's one of the biggest hogs. Speaking speaking of I mentioned uh, Facebook and Meta, they're about to face their biggest fine ever in the EU. Have you any idea how much? Oh, do you know every time I
2: hear Meta and a fine, I just feel like we're getting just a little bit closer to not seeing the letters USC on our pay on our pay slips. You know, it just seems like a tremendous revenue generator. <laughs> Everyone's like, hey, the country is awash with this cash. Where did it come from? At f- I think we know where it came from. <laughs> it's Meta GDPR fines, all well, of it.
0: I, I, well, no, not necessarily. It wasn't a whole load of money that came in from Apple, 13 billion or something uh, a couple of years No,
2: we, we we didn't want that money.
0: We, I know we didn't want it. It's like, you know, well, certain, certain members of the Irish community who are generally wow. in government didn't want the money for whatever reason. You and I wanted to get rid of
2: USC. <laughs> wow. Well, Meta has allegedly put aside $1.3 billion to deal with GDPR fines. Let's wipe it out in one go.
0: Let's just take it all now. <laughs> just, thank you, Ching. <laughs> let's 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 take the money and run. Uh, one of the big story this week: uh, the FBI have got a new most wanted hacker. Who is he? What did he do?
2: Okay, so uh, the FBI have finally been able to sort of put the finger on a, a, a gentleman and go, do you know what? All this sort of h- ransomware problems we're having, it's it's this guy. This is the guy. <laughs> it's
0: this one guy, yeah? <laughs> it's, it's just this one guy.
2: No, I mean, they, they've identified one guy who is linked to loads of ransomware b- groups. And when I say loads, I mean sort of the big ones like Lockbit and Hive. So this is a 30-year-old gentleman by the name of Mikhail Pavlovich Matveev. And if you can find him or assist in his arrest, it is worth a cool $10 million. Wow.
0: Where is he? (laughs) I'm telling you, that money's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Have we any idea whereabouts in the world
2: he is? Well, my money is on somewhere in Russia. Uh, Because that's where an awful lot of these groups operate out of. And you know what? I I learned something very interesting about how ransomware gangs actually recruit a couple of weeks ago. They have their own HR departments. They go out and they approach people um, and sort of on the dark web and they do job interviews remotely. (laughs) They're they're like, okay, do, do you know what we actually do? (laughs) Uh, And then some people stick with them and some people decide not to. And then, you know, some people drop in and drop out and they have the exact same problems as regular businesses in the real world, as as you might call it, in that they can't hire and keep people. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) I think it's hilarious.
0: Two, uh, two more really quick things. I just wanted to mention that Amazon announced new Echo devices this week. They are bringing out a new Echo Pop, which I think is going to be the cheapest one of all, and it looks like it's semi-spherical, so it's kind of like a ball that's been chopped in half, that kind of a way. And the flat bit is the uh, is the speaker. It looks quite nice. Do you know? It's just going to keep popping up on my Amazon store for the next three weeks, and I'm eventually you're going to go.
2: oh, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Now go on. They're going to wear you down. <laughs>
0: Do you know what, what it's
2: like. Do you know what? When I think of Amazon and, you yeah. know, in general, when I think of perfect products, right, I would put, you know, fifth generation iPod out there as a perfect product. I am also going to add the Echo Dot to that list because if you want to buy somebody a present, have you ever given an Echo Dot to somebody and they'll not be happy? Yeah. Um, I think it's a perfect product. So I think they have serious problem in getting people to
0: buy into new products. Because we have one that we like. That's the thing. Well, the interesting is that there was uh, radio research came out in the UK, the radio results, and they are showing that the vast majority of radio listening in the UK now, as in 65%, is done on a digital platform. And those digital platforms are split between two things. One is DAB, digital broadcasting, which we don't have, and almost the same amount is done on smart speakers. And actually, do you know what? That's what we do in our house as well. And we just say, blah, 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 play, you know, RT2FM or FM104 or whatever it is we're going to listen to like, you know. Mm. Listen, that is it for the news this week. Tons of it. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, We keep you up to date with everything that's breaking over the weekend and during the week as well. Of course, uh, as always at techcentral.io.
1: Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie.
0: A little later on this month, we have an amazing live tech fire event lined up for you, which we have called Do You Have an Open Relationship with Your Cloud Partner? As you know, cloud services are always working on better pricing, more features, comprehensive ecosystems, yada, yada, yada. But it often happens that today's most flexible partner could end up being tomorrow's most restrictive So what do you do? Do you lock in with one provider? Do you try to do your own thing? Or do you have an open relationship with a few of them? For our Techfire event in association with NTT Data, we're going to be looking at the work required to keep your options open. Michael O'Reilly, NTT's CTO, will be there, along with the Bank of Ireland Principal Technology Architect, Ronan Hughes, sharing their experiences. Best thing of all this, it's an online event and it's absolutely free. To get the link to join in, just search. Search for Tech Fire online or go directly to our website at techcentral.ie. All right, let's go for our idea of the week this week. And this week, of all things, it's inspired by a funeral. Um, one of my uncles passed away during the week and I had to go to the funeral and I was just remembering a conversation that we had with one of the young scientists at the uh, BT Young Scientists Exhibition back in January and it was a brilliant idea that that kid had for putting something technical on headstones that could change everything. Take a listen.
2: Any Trekkie fans out there will remember the uh, the funeral of Tasha Yar where she uh, had a nice little hologram telling everyone what she thought of them and how well they would be doing in life. And I guess we have a contemporary solution to that kind of thing through QR codes. So I'm here with the chaps from Boris O'Kane Community College in Tipperary. Uh, so tell me all about the project. So uh, your name first. I'm Barry Egan. And I'm Keane Hayes. So Barry, where did the idea for the, uh, for the project come from? I gather you're not Star Trek fans. Uh, so basically I was in a graveyard one day visiting my granny and I was with my father and he said basically it would be a great idea to have something on the gravestone to find information about the person. So we decided a QR code that could link to a website would be a good idea and you could find information about the person or leave a message. So is this sort of a combination of a, a blog and, and sort of a, a guest book? Uh,
3: yeah, it's it's a biography basically. You could we have examples here that are kinda of short of fictional people but in realistically you can make very long stories, you could tell stories about their past and what they like to do, where they're from and all sorts so a biography of the person is what we would describe it as
2: sounds like a, a, a great potential for adding detail, perhaps for yeah. relatives looking to track down people that they'd lost touch yeah. with uh, or hadn't found, so what's the response been like so far? Well, I suppose we kind of made it so it could help people mourn the loss of a loved one, and people are really loving the idea that have come and seen it today, so yeah, that's, that's the main
0: things people are thinking. QR codes for headstones, our idea of the week from just two of the students that we met at the RDS last January at the BT Young Scientist Exhibition. You can hear that entire episode on our podcast feed. It's episode 952 from the 14th of January and it's absolutely brilliant, brimming with ideas. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now.
0: For the past few weeks, we've been covering the best and worst of AI, artificial intelligence. While many are excited about the directions it's taking us, there are equal concerns over poor quality data, user privacy and bias. To put some manners on the AI Wild West, as it were, the EU are going to publish their new AI Act later on this year. So to keep ahead of it, we're catching up with an expert in the area, Brian McElliot, who is the head of the Artificial Intelligence Law Team at the business law firm Mason, Hayes & Curran. He had a chat with Niall Kitson about what it's going to mean for consumers and who will be left holding the bag when it comes to enforcing it. So Europe is finally getting in
2: on the act of AI regulation with the uh, EU Artificial Intelligence Act. Now, is this an example of Europe, again, having the back of the consumer? Or is it Europe trying to solve problems that maybe have been in existence for years without being able to deal with contemporary technologies like generative AI?
1: Um,
3: It's a little bit of a few things, and, and that touches on some of it, um, this The genesis of this whole thing actually goes back to about 2017, 2018, when the EU set up a specialist group called the High-Level Expert Group. And they were essentially tasked with coming up with you know, a framework for the regulation of AI based on two specific criteria. One is to drive the EU in the direction of what will be trustworthy AI. So that goes to your first point there about, you know, having the consumer at the heart of its plans and ensuring that the consumer has trust in the AI that will be deployed in the EU. And the second part of it was an innovation piece, you know, to simultaneously drive innovation in this sector in the EU. Now, where we've ended up is with a draft Artificial Intelligence Act That's currently uh, about two-thirds, approximately two-thirds the way through its legislative process. And it certainly does have the consumer at its heart. But the second piece around innovation is actually quite up in the air at the moment. There's a lot of um, skepticism, I would say, with regard to this very direct regulation Um, in some way possibly hindering innovation in the EU. And what you would do in this case is maybe contrast it with what's happening in the UK and what's happening in the US. And it kind of answers another part of your question there is, you know, where does the EU sit when it comes to the regulation of AI? Are we lagging? Um, I think it's always the case that with high-end technology, the law to an extent will lag the technology. Um, But that's not to say that, you know, big picture aspects of a regulation will cover those. But in the global sense, it's the EU that's actually to the forefront of grasping the nettle here and um, seeking to regulate AI directly. The UK published um, a white paper last week and in that white paper, they they said that they're going to take a more kind of business-centric, light-touch approach to the regulation of AI And the U.S. has spoken a lot and has issued some papers um, and some draft bills in the area, but they have not really set out any significant intention to regulate AI. So as things stand, the EU is at the forefront of setting a sort of um, global standard, global gold standard when it comes to the regulation of AI with the consumer um, at its heart. Um, So if you like, um, they, the EU feels um, that they are, you know, getting out there and getting out there in front of the technology as best they can and regulating it.
2: That's uh, such an important point that Europe has always been very good at in terms of putting the consumer first. Um, the sort of the business first approach is kind of... Um, expected in the UK, given the the effects and the ongoing effects of Brexit. When it comes to academic endeavour, where you're expecting people to be on the bleeding edge, are you noticing any particular pushback? I mean, we're going to assume that there will be pushback against regulation from the business sector because, you know, the business sector doesn't like regulation in general. However, what about academia? What has been the
3: response like there? It's funny you bring that up, you know, because um, the the response from academia in some cases has been that the regulation doesn't go far enough. Um, There are two, uh, let's say, advocates within the EU who are running the process for the EU at the moment. Um, And let's say one is kind of notionally tilted towards the left and one is tilted towards the right, and let's say their beliefs or their political backgrounds. Um, And the advocates, who would be behind the the party on the left, um, would be pushing for more stringent um, aspects to be introduced into the legislation. Um, And not not all academics share that particular view. Um, A lot of them focus in on, well, from what I've read anyway, I won't say I've seen everything, but a lot of them will focus in on the potential for harm that might be brought about by AI in the future because, you know, to all intents and purposes, we're looking at some, you know, early stage um, applications of the technology um, and, you know, the recent explosion of generative AI, in particular, uh, and, um, applications like ChatGBT are bringing the potential for issues with the technology um, to the fore and it's really coming um part of the consciousness of uh, people at the moment and you're seeing it across all the press um, uh, but I suppose if, if kind of reflect back on the, the journey of the legislation so far in just before I think the act itself was published there was a consultation done and the consultation went out to everyone and so you had I think it was about in the region of 1500 papers came back um, and you would have had papers from big tech, you would have papers from the universities, you would have had papers from SMEs, and you would have had papers from individuals and academics, indeed. And the funny thing about it is, is that the overall response was that vast majority appeared to agree with the concept being adopted by the EU, which was this risk-based approach to the regulation of AI. There was a lot of disagreement around the edges and there continues to be a significant amount of disagreement um, at parliament level. Apparently they've said there's never been a piece of legislation that's gone through the EU with so many changes being requested at each stage of its process. A couple of thousand, I believe, is that the current um, request of changes going through. So you can see it, it's quite contentious. And, and why would it not be? I mean, we're, we're on the cusp of, you know, something new and very significant. Um, so you have to expect, I suppose, that there will be significant debate
2: that notion of the risk based approach naturally sort of brings to mind sort of that first wave of ai where you have excel macros and it's it's all very shiny and very exciting uh up to today where again we we have generative ai we've art that never uh you know came, came into contact with humans we've got marketing plans again that never you know were vetted by a, a human editor how does how is risk actually defined uh,
3: according to the EU? Yeah, it's a very good question and and you know the the regulation on the face of it it's called the AI Act, but it's a regulation, and for your listeners, what that means is that it will once it's passed into law and has effect, it will be directly effective in all the twenty seven member states um, and in principle doesn't need you know, the Irish legislature to introduce, you know, local legislation to to bring it into uh, our own laws. Um, We'll see if that actually is the case in time. But the, the, the concept is, is that it's a harmonized across the board piece of regulation in the EU. And while it is supposed to be what's known as a horizontal regulation in that it goes right across the technology and should regulate every piece of the technology, the real meat of this legislation Um, is aimed at something called high-risk AI. And high-risk AI is defined by reference to categories of use or intended use of AI. And it's broken out into two schedules or annexes in the legislation. One is Annex 2 and the other is Annex 3. And these list, it's an exhaustive list in each case of the types of technology that will really suffer the brunt of this regulation. Now, in Annex 2, And what I kind of anecdotally refer to as like the products piece um, where you have physical products which will contain AI, which will be regulated as high risk. And examples will be things like medical devices, in vitro medical devices, toys, machinery, lifts, things like that. There's a list of 12 uh, in one part of it, and eight in another. Um, But the first 12 will bear the brunt of the regulation. Um, And the key thing, I guess, for for users of those technology um, and the creators behind those technology is that once this act comes into force, before they can put their, let's say, medical device containing AI onto the market, they have to go through a regulatory clearance project and seek approval from a regulator before the product will be allowed onto the market. Now, this is... Nothing new really to people who operate in the medical device area because they do this with their medical devices anyway. But if you shift into Annex 3, you're moving into what I would term the, let's say, the software applications of AI that are called high risk. And a couple of examples here would be use in recruitment or monitoring um, progress of individuals in um, a firm, um, use for credit scoring, use for um Insurance reasons where people will be calculating whether you can and cannot get insurance and what type of insurance. Um, use in education and grade scoring. So there are you know uses that are well known and well used today. They will become high risk, and they need to pre-clear their product before it will be allowed on the market. And they will even be subject to you know putting a CE mark on it. You know, people will be very familiar with those marks on products um, and signing a declaration of conformity. And now this is. Where I think, anyway, the real pressure from this legislation is going to land. It's going to land on the tech companies, like fintech companies that do these things. Those guys, unlike their colleagues in medical devices, they don't have an institutional setup whereby when they create a new product or design a new product, that they have to design with a regulatory regime in place. Now, everybody has to design with laws in, in, in their processes and, you know, have to take into account laws in their processes. But if you picture, let's say, a software company that operates in the fintech space and they're producing a credit scoring app for their customers, right now they're doing that and, you know, in the process of doing it, you know, they're looking at the sort of data they ingest and they're ensuring that they're compliant with GDPR. But this new act is going to make them think even more um, about their legal position before they launch, because right from day one, they need to engineer or bake in seven special requirements under this act um, because they will be high risk and they must be engineered into the product from day one, because some of these requirements actually affect, you know, What sort of data set did you use to train and validate your technology in the first place? And did you check for risks like uh, bias? Um, So they need to be very much on top of the product generation process. And then they need to put in place their own internal risk controls for ensuring that they hit the standards before they launch onto the market. Um, Because if they don't, they will be subject to a market surveillance authority that will be able to take their product off the market. And I think that it's those operators and users in the tech space who don't currently have any sort of um, process for managing products, manage product generation like this. If, If you think about it, you know, vast majority of tech products would be, they'll go on the market once, you know, the owner feels that they can get for them, or even in a startup phase, they'll launch and they won't necessarily be, you know, an amazing product. But through a process of iteration, they'll get it out there. They'll have to do all their iterations internally and make sure they're ready for the market under this act. And I think that's why it's going to be quite a substantial challenge for, you know, anyone from SMEs up to the very large tech companies to comply that's a fascinating
2: problem that companies will have to deal with because at, at the moment in particular when it comes to software we're used to this agile project methodology where you put together a minimum viable product throw it onto the market and then see what the response is like either positive or negative so now we're going into a phase where we will have to use to ai we will have to use ai to test projects and products internally before getting them to market which Presents two eternal problems for AI, which is the quality of the data and potential bias in interpretation.
3: Absolutely. And that's one of the seven key requirements under the AI Act is that you need to essentially I can sum it up, you need to essentially be aware of the risk of using your product in your intended use market. Um, so you need to be able to think about well. If I have, you know, this particular data set and my data set was, let's say, uh, it was gathered on the basis of, you know, a particular population in the EU and I've based it on that. Then you need to think to yourself, well, if I deploy that machine making those decisions, uh, let's say in a recruitment market, in a completely different culture and space, will it perform or will it actually um, produce... Um, risky outcomes so it's not that you um, will always let's say have to adjust your data set it's just that you will need to think long and hard about what is your intended use of the product who will be using the product and based on you know the steps you took even on day one to train your product if it's these sort of ML products um, is it is it suitable or actually are there significant risks to using this? Um, not because the tech isn't good. The tech could be amazing. It's just what it's been fed at day one may not be suitable for use with the users you have, you know, in years two, three, and four or what you're intending to use it in. Absolutely. um. <clears throat>
2: It's that old thing of, you know, the, the housewife in, in Des Moines. If that's who the product is for and they can use it, well, then it's successful. If you're testing it in a sort of a, a, the tech sector in San Francisco, you're not going to get a reliable impression
3: of what the product
2: is and what it can do.
3: Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, it's great to kind of raise that, that kind of Des Moines example in that, you know, you're talking about a worldwide product. And this is where I think, you know, significant challenge will arise for um, product creators in that. If, let's say, for instance, you have like a a medical imaging AI product and you're based out of the Valley, California, um, and that's your only office, but if you're intending to use it um, in the EU, once this act lands, you're going to be caught by this piece of legislation. So that, um, I suppose, uh, excuse, if you might like to put it, um, of, well, you know, I'm not located in the EU, it's not to do with me. The thing is that if you sell this product in the EU, you are going to be caught by this legislation, and therefore you're going to need to think about um, what it is regarding all these seven requirements that I can ensure my product is up to standard. And for, I guess, a lot of people that will be, you know, a re-engineer project um, in due course, um, which will be an absolute pain um, because we all know the difficulties of um, dealing with some of this technology when it comes to trying to find out what it is it's doing. And um, Can you go back and re-engineer changes to it? In, in fairness, like I've worked with a whole bunch of data scientists and um, those guys are incredibly smart and I don't doubt their ability to do everything that's asked of them under this um, legislation. It's just that it takes time and effort and it introduces processes into their own model processes which they don't have already and it's just going to be such a challenge for them. On that point
2: of processes then... We have to look at who's actually going to enforce this. I mean, we already know that our data protection commissioner is uh, absolutely swamped with uh, complaints very often against large tech companies with very deep pockets capable of dragging uh, legal actions through the courts for an awful long time. So do we need a new office to deal with this problem or is this going to be something that's tacked on to an existing regulator?
3: It's going to be multiple regulators is the answer. Um, so if, if you go back to earlier in a conversation, I spoke about two different annexes to the legislation, one kind of a product type and the other a software type uses. For the product type uses, like the medical devices and the toys and the machinery, etc., they already have a regulator that regulates their products before they go on the market. and That regulator will also be their regulator under this piece of legislation. So if you like, take the example of a medical device. I am, let's say, part of a company that produces medical devices. And I know on day one producing a new product, I'm aiming for a target date of launch. And as part of that, I'm going to spend probably 12 months dealing with uh, my compliance regime. Now, what I'm going to have to do is introduce a new section to my compliance regime for this AI Act. But the flip side of it is, is that my regulator, who today has no experience or very little experience of AI, is going to have to introduce the review process that mirrors my own application process. So the, what's in, in Ireland's called HIPRA, they, um, they are one of the bodies responsible for um, the regulation of medical devices, or sorry, conformity assessments, Um They're going to have to look around themselves and go, Well, I need new budget. I need new expertise. And, you know, tell me who exactly is qualified to come onto my team as a regulator and look at this technology from the perspective of the AI Act and be expert in artificial intelligence and help me with my review of these products. That's one issue. The second issue then is where you move into. Annex 3, which is the software type application. So, you know, the the grading of technology, the use in recruitment, credit scoring, fintech, all those sort of uses. Current kind of um, anecdotal chat is that the data protection commissioner is going to be asked to take this role. Now, it, it's not set in stone just yet, um, but I guess because a lot of these types of technologies are data heavy, you know, maybe there's a, a logical step there of joining the dots Um, But the data protection commissioner is going to have the exact same issues. Excuse me. The data protection commissioner is going to need to hire people who are experts in this type of technology. The data protection commissioner is going to need significant investments in budgets and resources to be able to deal with this sort of a review. Um, Because, again, it's a it's a pre-market approval process and just like the tech industry itself the data protection commissioner or whoever that regulator ends up being just won't have the institutional knowledge not like their colleagues in um, HIPAA as to how to run a process like this um, and run it in a manner um, that will be smooth and will ensure that there's no impact or adverse impact on innovation.
0: And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Brian McElliot Head of Artificial Intelligence Law Team at Mason Hayes and (laughs) Curran.
1: This is Tech Radio.
0: That's it for our show this week. Just before we go, we have time for just one more thing. Here's Steve, live from heaven. Thank you, Dusty. As always, we have more stories to reveal online, including
1: Vodafone cutting 11,000 jobs as part of an international shakeup small businesses in Ireland are missing out on energy subsidies and the latest rumors on what Apple might announce at their
0: next WWDC, including things even I don't know about. You'll find all of that online right now at techcentral.ie. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday, as always, with RTE Radio 1 Extra. And, of course, you can get new episodes automatically online by clicking follow on your podcast player, if that's how you're listening to us right now. On to next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, as always, take care and thank you for listening.
1: Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye.